can have a seat as I just read a few verses from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 starts out like this. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just thinking about that verse and what a challenge it is. Um, I know for myself, it's so hard. The, the, the world events, um, personal events, just the things that are happening in our life every day, they make it really hard sometimes to just set our hearts on the things above. And so that's why I'm just so thankful for a chance just to come together uh, just for this, this practice that Jesus reminded us to do, to, to come together and set this time aside to set our hearts uh, on the things above. And, you know, the awesome thing about that is he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And just that reminder that this life is short, it's fleeting, um, and it's, you know, according to what Paul says, it's not really our real life, you know, Christ is our life, and when he appears, um, we will be with him in glory, and that will uh, just be an amazing thing. So uh, just a reminder, let's just uh, bow our heads and commit our time to God. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to come together with your church, with your people, to sing your praise. Uh, Lord, may you help us today just to um, focus our minds and our hearts on you. Uh, Lord, we know that we need you so much. Um, we need to be reminded of your great love for us. Uh, and Father, we just pray that as, as we sing these songs, that we would do so with genuineness, um, that we could worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a couple of announcements this morning. Tonight, there will be a concert of prayer at 6.30, 6.30 p.m. here. So just a time for the church to get together and lift up praises for uh, our world and for needs in the body as, as well as uh, ministries here at Creekside. And then next week, we have uh, what we call our Get to Know You Lunch. This is just a, an opportunity that if you're new, you know, say within the last uh, year or so, just uh, and you haven't had a chance to hear a little bit more about our church, this is just a chance to hear, hear things that, you know, what we believe, uh, answer questions you may have, and we kind of think about this as our first step towards potential membership. So if you're interested, you need to email Megan and let her know before Friday. You can find Megan's email information in the bulletin. Thank you. Good to have the Haiti team back and look forward to hearing more about your trip. I don't know if Steve is here this morning. He, they just had a new granddaughter. Oh, Sunday school kids can be released too. Forgot to, to announce that. 
Um, they just had a new granddaughter, so make sure you congratulate Steve and Marla on their new granddaughter. I also became aware this week that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we don't necessarily do all the, you know, Hallmark holidays and everything, but personally, I appreciate uh, Steve's hard work and his devotion to the Word and, and the way he serves our congregation, so it might be good to to just tell them thanks every now and then. I'm sure that we all do, but um, a good reminder. So with that, let's just open up in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together to worship you and to worship you through song and through the study of your word. I just pray that as we open up Matthew 22 and consider the greatest commandment this morning that um, our hearts would be touched, that um, this wouldn't just be an intellectual exercise, but that the truth and the reality of what you've called the greatest commandment would be true in our hearts and in our lives. And <clears throat> so I just ask for the leading of your spirit this morning as we uh, open your word in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been going through Matthew 22 or through Matthew, for quite a while now. Uh, we're in chapter 22, and if you want to turn um, over to verse 34, we'll read there in just a moment, but just as a reminder, this point that we're going to read about this morning in the, the 22nd chapter is happening just a few days before Jesus is crucified. So Palm Sunday has already happened. Uh, Jesus came into town, he was, uh, his praises were sung by the children, the leaders were upset, Jesus went into the temple, he cleaned house there, his authority was challenged, and so this is in the temple, what we're reading today is happening in the temple, and Jesus has been challenged by various groups of the Jewish leadership, because they don't like what he's doing, and I think really they're kind of trying to Expose, hoping to expose him as a fraud. And so let's uh, just pick this up in verse 34 of Matthew 22. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so these are different, kind of like different denominations within the Jews. Um, and one last week, Steve talked about how the Sadducees have been silenced around the question of resurrection. So now the Pharisees gathered together again, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So you see there, that's the reason for this question. It's a test. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so this, this is a, a great question, right? What's the greatest commandment? Now, I, I haven't personally counted them, but I, my understanding is there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, over 600. So this, this was a question that 
you know, kind of excited maybe the religious leaders to talk about what's the greatest of them all. Um, but it, this wasn't really a mysterious question. I mean, the answer, I believe, was generally known. It seemed to be a topic of study and debate, but there was also a generally accepted answer. If you, um, if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told in Luke, that story came about because one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, what does, what does the law say? And that Pharisee gave Jesus the pretty much exact answer that Jesus gave the Pharisees here. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, well, I guess you know the answer. Just go do it, right? Well, what, what did that Pharisee say? He said, well, who's my neighbor? And that's a good question for us to ponder here as we look at the second commandment too. But it, in that story, we, Jesus answered that question with the story of the Good Samaritan, the man who was rejected by the religious leaders, by true Orthodox Jews, because of who he was as a Samaritan, ended up being the man that went down when there was somebody that became a victim of crime and assault and robbery, down in the ditch, wounded, near death. The religious priest and the, the lawyer went by on the other side. They didn't help him. But this Samaritan went down in the ditch and helped him. And he, he cleaned out his wounds, he bandaged him up, and he brought him to a place to stay. And Jesus said, so, which of those three people do you think is a neighbor? And he said, I suppose the one that, that helped his fellow man. So that's, that's who the neighbor is, I guess. We're, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to the second answer that Jesus gave. But this answer seemed to be fairly well known. In fact, Jesus is answering directly from Moses, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. And this is actually called, as I understand it commonly, the Shema. And so um, this passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy as I understand it, was quoted in a, a believing Jewish family every morning and every night. And this was probably something that Jesus was raised hearing every morning and every night. And this is probably something that these Pharisees practiced every morning and every night, that they would, would quote Deuteronomy. And I'm going to turn there a minute. You've got it up on the screen there. Uh, Deuteronomy 6. And verses 4 and 5 say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall hear them, <clears throat> you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So these words were important, crucial, central words 
to the Jewish faith. The Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might. And then Jesus here in in Matthew says, um, your heart, soul, and your mind. So I think, think, um, you know, in reading John MacArthur's commentary, he said it's not so much the different ways that we love the Lord, but it's the fact that with all of our being, we are to love God. That is the first and the great commandment. And so Jesus gives this answer, and then they're they're not satisfied, but they're silenced, right? They have not been able to show him to be ignorant of the law. They have not been shown him to be out of touch with uh, Judaism. They haven't been able to show him to be like uh, speaking against Moses Whatever their goal, whatever they're trying to test him on, it failed. But um, he, he quotes this Shema, which was very well known to them. And so then he also says in verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. So I believe there's, there's two aspects to this that Jesus is bringing forward. First, it's the great commandment. There's no greater commandment, and it's the most important one, okay? It's also the first commandment. I don't think great and first are just synonyms. It's the first commandment. We have to get our love in order, and it has to start with our God. It has to start with our Creator and with our Redeemer, because if our love between the love between my heart and God is in good shape, if I'm wholly devoted in love to my God, these other things are going to flow in proper perspective and in proper order. But this is not just an informational answer. One of my favorite uh, preachers, Steve Smith, you may have heard of him, but he shared this with me in connection with this passage. He said the religious leaders knew the law very well, but they weren't living it And that is a struggle throughout the ages. Knowing the truth, but not really living it. A real challenge to make enjoying a passionate relationship with God for magnifying Him in our lives a reality. So this isn't just a commandment to make us smart. This is a commandment to entirely change our life. And so these Pharisees, they knew in their heads, which was the great commandment. They knew in their heads which was the first commandment. But they had been going throughout Jesus' ministry in opposition of God himself, because Jesus is God the Son. And they had been fighting against him, and they're, they're trying to discredit him here. They didn't love the Lord the God, their God with all of their strength, with all of their being. And so Jesus... <clears throat> lays this before them, and, you know, we could say it's not rocket science, or it's not theological science, uh, deep theological science. It's basic, love the Lord your God with all that you are. That's the first commandment. That's the greatest commandment. But then he doesn't stop there either. They, he, he gives them kind of a, a, bonus, um, <clears throat> a bonus answer here. 
He says, he goes on to say um, in verse 39, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is another quote directly from Moses. And I'm going to turn over. uh, I'm going to check back here. Yes, Leviticus 19. If you want to turn there, you can. If you want to just listen along, because I'm going to look at a little bit more than just that one quote from Leviticus 19. There's a section there, and in my Bible, it's headed by this heading, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And so, verse 18 ends this section. It says, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. But it's interesting to me that as I read through verses 9 through 18, there were some different examples of what this looks like. And, you know, if you think of the Ten Commandments, we think of not stealing, not killing people, not lying about people, things like that, you know, and maybe we're, we're decent at obeying those commandments. But Jesus, or, but Moses in, in Leviticus there, he starts out talking about when you reap your harvest, don't take all of the harvest in. Leave some of your crops on the edge for people that don't have crops or that are hungry, that might be walking along, so they can come and freely eat from your crops. Leave some of the fruit, some of the grapes, for people walking by to come in and freely eat from it. And then he talks about um, not dealing falsely and um, that you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. So, And then if they were to hire somebody to do a job, pay them that very same day. Don't even wait till the next day. So Moses is giving these examples that kind of start to reveal, I think, that It's not so much about don't covet, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie. It's about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So that goes beyond just withholding harm from people, right? Because when we love our neighbor as we we love ourselves, we will start to take care of our neighbor. And we'll care. When they're hungry, that's going to matter to us. When they're in need, that's going to matter to us. When they're hurt, that's going to matter to us. So this commandment to love our neighbor as ourself goes beyond, you know, just not hurting our neighbor or not causing harm to our neighbor. And it goes into seeking the good of our neighbor. So Jesus says that this second commandment, is like the first one. In other words, it goes right along with it, okay? And we see that in 1 John 4, 21. Uh, It says, This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his neighbor. And James expands on this. Uh, John expands on this. Jesus is expanding on this. Paul expands on this. You know, Paul says, Let the person that used to steal and who has become a Christian, not steal anymore, but rather let him go to work 
to earn money so that he can give to the poor. See how love turns things from not doing harm to doing good. And so Jesus brings this upon their conscience to love their neighbor. And then there's this little statement, as yourself. Because honestly, we all love ourselves. And he doesn't say, don't love yourself. And he doesn't say, you need to learn to love yourself more. You know, there, there's all kinds of ways that we mistreat ourselves, but it's not because we don't love ourselves. People harm themselves. So they'll make the comment that I hurt myself because it's the only time I feel alive. Or I cut myself because that's the only time somebody will touch me. People get in such despair that they'll try to end their life. You know, we love ourselves. And that's good. God has given us that instinct to care for our bodies. And sometimes it's misguided, obviously, and we indulge on ourselves. But this is why the first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Because when we love God, we become more in alignment with how He created us. He created us in His image. And so we're going to do things as we love ourselves. We're going to do things that will enhance, if you will, that image of God in us. But it will also spill over to our neighbors, to those around us, our fellow humans in this life. So this is the second commandment. And then Jesus makes this statement, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, um, this is, has been pointed out many times, but the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are in reference to how we treat God. There's only one God. We're only to have one God. We are not to make uh, idols, graven images that we bow down to. We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We are to set aside a Sabbath of time that's wholly devoted to the Lord. All of these things are ways that loving the Lord our God with all of our strength is played out. So, those 631 commandments are just various displays of us loving God or loving our neighbor. So, loving our neighbor as ourself. Are we going to steal from someone we love? Are we going to uh, lie about someone we love? Are we going to want something good that they have? Are we going to want to take that away from them? No. Are we going to take their life away from them if we're loving them? No. So we can do these external things, and I, I believe one of the things Jesus might be touching on the Pharisees about is, you know, you've got all these rules that you're following, and you're probably following them to the T, but you're not really loving people. And so you're missing the whole point. Because the whole point is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we need to seek out this love from God. So, I mean, there we've, we've, we've gone through the verses that we have this morning. But I think 
if you're like me, it's like, well, that's great, but how do I love God that way? <laughs> how do I love my neighbor that way? Because that, that doesn't just come naturally. And so we do need help. And it requires divine enablement. In other words, we need God to come in on our behalf and help us and do something for us so that we love Him the way we need to love Him and so that we love each other the way we need to love each other. So I'd like to spend a little time now just uh, considering that. So the divine enablement. I think this, this verse kind of summarized it, this passage kind of summarized it for me in Hebrews 10. And verse 15, it says, The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. See, the, the first covenant, the law of Moses, was written on, on stone tablets. The new covenant is written on human hearts. So God knows. God knows that we're not capable of loving Him the way we're supposed to love Him. And God knows we're not capable of loving each other the way we're supposed to love each other. So, under the new covenant... God, through His Spirit, writes the law on our hearts. He gives us the power through His Spirit and through the new life that He gives us and through the, the regenerated heart that He gives us to actually love the way that we're supposed to love. So, if we're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you haven't received the truth of the gospel, that I'm a sinner, I have no merit on my own to stand before God, I stand in, in full deserving of judgment before God, but God knew that, and He sent His one and only Son to pay that penalty of sin for me. If I believe that, and I know that Jesus died on the cross, and that He rose again the third day, in resurrection power, in a new life that He wants to share with me through faith in His, His salvation work. If I believe that and I receive that for myself, Jesus refers to the result as being born again. Why is it being born again? Because the Word of God tells us if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things are passed away and everything is become new. So God, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, brings a change in our hearts. Is that, is that a surprise? Where does love come from? From our hearts. God had to give us a new heart because we don't naturally love the way we should love. We may have love that uh, we define as love, but that's not how God defines it. And Jesus, when he talks about the great commandment, is talking about love as God defines love. And that's not possible without his empowerment. It's not possible without his spirit working in our lives. It's not possible without a renewed heart 
and mine. And thankfully, God knows that. And so he's made the provision through his son. So then we have a divine enablement or enablement brought by God. We also have the divine example in 1 John 4.19. There it says at the bottom, we love because he first loved us. So we have an example of love in Jesus and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. But God hasn't just left us to our own resources, thankfully. That's the gospel, is that God is coming in and working on our behalf. And so what a, what a joyful thing that Jesus not only tells us this is what we need to do, but he gives us the power to do it if we receive him by faith in his work. So, Oftentimes, you know, with, when we think of love, there's, we might think about it in the context of marriage, you know, and things start out great, everything's wonderful, then time goes on, and, you know, maybe it, maybe it doesn't seem so great. Maybe things fade. We hear that from believers, too. We see that in our own hearts, oftentimes, that when somebody gets saved out of a life of sorrow or misery or bondage, and they get set free by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, they are rejoicing and excited, and they love Jesus, and they love to talk about Him. And then time goes on, and maybe that kind of fades a little bit. And that's a, that's a human tendency. That's a cycle, I think, I suppose, that we all go through to some degree. This uh, last summer, Debbie got us some tickets to a concert for my birthday. And so we're, we went to this concert, and super harmony, awesome. You know, I don't know if anybody's heard of the Collingsworth family, but this family of adults that sing awesome harmony together, and I was just enjoying the music, and one song they were singing, I think it's called I Call Him Lord, was, uh, you know, highlighting the names and titles of Jesus. And so as they were singing these names and titles, they came up on the screen, you know, in, in big letters. And I'm stand, standing there enjoying the music and seeing the names of Jesus and thinking, this isn't touching me. Something's wrong. My heart's not responding to Jesus. What's wrong? <laughs> My love was growing cold. It wasn't, be as far as I know, you know, I wasn't engaging in any great sin. Um, I was still reading my Bible and praying every day. But my heart wasn't touched by the greatness and glory of Jesus. And that concerned me. A couple nights later, I woke up in the middle of the night. I had this question. Do you love me? Do you love me? What a hard question from Jesus. So, I want to talk a little bit about, thankfully, you know, I felt like God enabled me to move beyond that feeling that, no, <laughs> I'm not really loving you, Jesus. 
But I want to talk about some of the ways that that problem can be resolved because maybe there's someone else here this morning that has felt that at times in your life, that you're, you're not responding in love to your Savior the way you believe you should. So what do we do when our love fails? Well, first of all, we can revel in our reprieve, and I'm, I'll have to explain that because I, you know, pick these uh, fancy words that go together, but maybe it's not really clear what it means. <laughs> so Luke 7, and I'll just mostly tell you the story. Jesus is invited to a feast at a Pharisee's house, and he's there, and this woman comes in off the street who is an immoral woman, and she comes in, and she comes by Jesus' feet, and she's weeping on his feet. She's washing his face, washing his feet with her tears, and she's wiping them with her hair. And this host, Simon, he's looking, um, or this Pharisee, he's looking and he's saying, you know, if Jesus was really all that great, he would know that this woman's not that great and he wouldn't want anything to do with her. So Jesus tells her a story. And I'm going to read in Luke uh, 7, verse 41. It says, a certain, this is Jesus telling this story to Simon in response to Simon's judgmental thoughts of this woman. It says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So our love is in in, response. response and in this in the ratio if you will of our understanding of our debt see simon he didn't really think that he had a problem with god he thought he was he had it together in the way he was living his life but he didn't love jesus he didn't give him he didn't wash his feet he didn't show him common courtesy of a house guest coming in in those days um, he didn't show jesus any love why because he didn't think he had a debt And so there's this balance we need to live in of understanding our sinfulness and understanding God's mercy and forgiveness. But we don't have to diminish the horribleness of our sin to be able to rejoice in the mercy of God to us. And in fact, if we don't understand how great our sin is, the measure that we understand the greatness of our sin is going to be reflected in how much we love our Savior who has forgiven us our sin. When we're in that moment where, man, I've messed up. I could get in a lot of trouble. Whatever that circumstance might be, when we're shown mercy under those circumstances, our heart responds in thankfulness. And so, We need to revel in our reprieve in the fact that God has shown us mercy. So we need to remember our sin. And interestingly enough, you know, these two commandments are both impacted by this because if Simon had considered his own sin, he would have shown love to Jesus. He also would have shown respect and love to this woman 
So that, that works for us too in the second commandment. Because when we lose, lose track of the fact that I'm a great offender, I'm a great sinner against my God and against my fellow man, when I lose track of that fact, I tend to live in judgment of the people around me. So, these two commandments play together in the way that love can be restored. And you know, I, I'm, I have four of these things I'm going to go through. I'm sure that if, if you did a search on ways, things that, that cause us to love the Lord, there would be others. But the next one I want to talk about is engaging uh, with our example. And this, personally, as I, as I laid in bed wondering, do I love Jesus? <clears throat> I went through this passage, Philippians 2, in my mind. I don't know if that'll pop up or not, but Philippians 2, and I I think a lot of us know this passage fairly well, but it says, I'm just going to read it because we're going to see also in this passage how Christ is our example in the way that he showed love. Also, we are to show each other love in the same way. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you see how Paul is starting here with our relationship with each other. Humility, love, uh, but it's through the encouragement that comes in Christ. And so now he's going to move on to what, what is that? What did that look like in Christ? Well, here's what it looked like. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God the Son before he was Jesus. What did he do? Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a serpent, servant being born in the likeness of men. So he had all that glory as God, but he emptied himself. And he took on himself a human form. People could disrespect him. People could push him. People could beat him. People could ignore him. He became a man, a human. But that's not all. It says in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, when our love for him wanes, We need to consider his love for us because that's really what's going to stir our hearts. And just considering what Jesus emptied himself of and what that meant for him to go to the cross, 
not, not just as terrible as it was to be tortured to death, but also to have God punish him for sin. Not his sin, my sin. So as I think about my guilt, and I think about the price that Jesus paid to atone for my guilt, my heart stirred. My heart stirred as I considered that. What a, what a blessing that we have God's Word. And I was thinking, too, of, of some hymns. Um, one older one, one newer one. There's a hymn titled, Beneath the Cross of Jesus by Elizabeth Cecilia Cliffane. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's an old song. It says, Upon the cross of Jesus, my eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart, with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my own unworthiness. Does that stir love in your heart? The Savior went to the cross that bore my sin, that bore your sin there. And then a newer song called The Power of the Cross by Stuart Town and Keith Ketty. It says, Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One through your selfless love. This, the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. The cross is the best place to have your love for Jesus your love for God stirred up. It's the best place to influence my love for my brother and sister, my love for my neighbor. So stay close to the cross. Engage with our example in the love of Jesus. Then another um, item here, delight in his forgiveness. And I, I knew there was a psalm that started out, I love you, Lord. And so I wanted to look and see where that was and what the context of it. Psalm 18 says, um, and this has maybe one of the longest introductions, and so the introduction is kind of important, I think, in this context. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who had addressed these words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. So the Lord delivers us from day to day, too. And we need to, we need to take note of that as we live our lives because so often we can attribute things to just, well, this is just the way life goes, you know. Yeah, that was a, a tough spot. Last Sunday morning when I woke, I woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, had a fever, and I was aching all over, um, and I had to change plans, and I laid in bed, and I was pretty sure that I'd be dead in two weeks, probably. I'm sure it was COVID, you know? I'm, so how do, how do I go about, like, taking care of business the couple, next couple days before I get really bad? Um, well, by Wednesday, I was back at work and feeling a little weak, but 
the Lord delivered me. I, I got a COVID test. It wasn't COVID, so don't worry about that. But the Lord delivered me. And it's easy enough to just go through life and forget our struggles and our difficulties and how the Lord brings us through them. But pay attention to them. That will stir up our love for the Lord. And you'll see that too um, in Psalm 116. We won't turn to it now for the sake of time, but there's, there's a similar expression of love to the Lord that comes because the psalmist is paying attention to the ways that God is taking care of him. And then finally, gaze on his glory. And I'm not going to turn up each of these passages. These are some of my favorites because I often feel the need to be reminded of the glory of Jesus. I am, I'm just going to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and read, read that passage to you. Um, but some of my favorites are, are John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, uh, where the beauty and glory of Jesus are spoken about, and that's a great way to stir up love, whether it's with each other or with the Lord, is to consider what are the things that, that I appreciate about this person. So it says in Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's just a sample of Jesus. He's glorious. He's got great glory as creator. He's got great glory as redeemer. And so to stir our affections for him, we need to look at him. We need to know about him. Peter says in 1 Peter, he says about Jesus, you haven't seen him, but whom having not seen, you love. How are we supposed to love someone we haven't seen? Well, God has given us his word to describe him. And if we look at him by faith through his word, that will stir up love in our heart for our Savior. So now we're going to be going into a time of singing again and also communion. The, the cup is there. Um, there should be one close to your seat. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, uh, we would invite you to participate in that with us. But I just want to read one of the passages that talks about that because um, this time of, of remembrance is another way to stir up our love. But we don't do it alone. We do it with each other in community. So let me just read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. It says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So, because of COVID, we're all having our own individual 
portions. It's not always been that way. But still, we take it together in remembrance of Him. So, while I pray, if, you, um, would, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you would take a few moments to just come before Him, if there's anything that you need to confess, do so. Examine our hearts and take this. Take the wafer in remembrance of His body, which was given for us. Take the juice as a remembrance of His blood that was shed for us. This is our standing before God. This is the one that we love. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done at the cross. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for your spirit who has written your law on our hearts so that we can love you in the way that we should. I just pray that we would maintain our relationship with you carefully, that we would seek to love you and to love our neighbor in the way that you've designed us to. And I just thank you again for this time together. We give thanks for this bread and this juice and its reminder to us of the work on the cross. In Jesus' precious name, amen. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure